الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله وسلم وبارك على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين أما بعد some words of advice pertaining one of the most pressing issues upon our community. And this advice is something that is very dear to my heart. And it's something that to me almost feels like an apology. Something that I feel guilty about. And something that perhaps some of us sitting here should be, feel guilty about. Similar situations. A short time ago, a young brother that I know is 18 years old. He came to me and he handed me a stack of indictment papers about this thick. And this young brother was raised in a Salafi family. And he was born Muslim. And he had a couple of years where he went away from his religion. And he went into the streets. And they opened up an indictment or they open up an investigation on the brother, upon this boy, for around two years, and then they waited till he was an adult to indict him. And right now he's looking at 60 years federal time. 60 years federal time. How many people sitting here know somebody like that know somebody from a Muslim family who died young who died early somebody from a Muslim family who was running the streets selling poison somebody from a Muslim family who was a member of a gang somebody from a Muslim family who is in prison. Wallahi al-Azim, when something like that happens in your community, and it happens to somebody that you know you should feel some sort of blame, and some sort of guilt, and these things are happening too much, as our brother, he said, Allah yahfadhu, during his very passionate talk that he just gave, we can't think of a time in which the temptations have been stronger than they are right now. Where the things pulling upon the Muslims, 
pulling upon the youth, pulling upon the children, are more than they are now. And who's to blame? Who's to blame? Perhaps the social situation of many of these young brothers and sisters that are going out into the streets at home and the fact that their parents divorced years ago and that they may be being raised by a single parent, usually a mother, and many of them boys or really men being raised by women who are not present, who are not even home. Who's to blame? Allah Tabaraka Ta'ani said, Do not differ with one another, lest as you become futile and lose your strength. This was the advice that was given to the Muslim army confronting a disbelieving army. It is one of the advices about which Al-Imam Ibn Qayyim Rahimullah Ta'ali said, that this advice and what is surrounding this ayah from the statement of Allah, Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu idha laqeetum fi'atan fathbutu. And to the end of those verses, that these are advices that if an army was to put into practice, they would never be defeated. If an army was to put these advices into practice, they would never be defeated. Do not differ with one another. Do not split up. فَتَفْشَلُوا وَتَذْهَبَ رِيحُكُمْ Lest that you become futile and lose your strength. Lest that you find your state in, yourselves in a state of fashal, in a state of futility, in a state of weakness, extreme weakness. And you lose your energy and you lose your strength. Perhaps the abundance of what is occurring in our communities of people marrying and divorcing and marrying and divorcing is part of to bl- what is to blame. But of course, the blame first and foremost lies upon the shoulders, upon the people who are going out there like that. As the Prophet وسلم, he said, فَمَنْ وَجَدَ خَيْرًا فَلِيَحْمَدَ اللَّهِ وَمَنْ وَجَدَ خَيْرًا ذَلِكَ فَلَا يَلُومَنَّ إِلَى نَفْسَهِ That whoever experiences good, then let him praise Allah for what he has experienced. And whoever experiences other than that, then let him blame no one but himself. Let him blame no one but himself. Who's to blame? It was reported from Abdullah bin Mas'ud radiallahu anhu. That he says, سَيَكُونُ فِي آخِرِ الزَّمَانِ أَقْوَامٌ مِنْ أَفْضَلِ عَمَالِهِمَ التَّلَابُمَ يُسَمَّوْنَ الْأَنْتَانِ he said, in a lot of times, there will come about a people that from the best of the actions that they could do is to cast blame upon one another. Who's to blame? To cast blame upon one another. You summon an antan. They will be called an antan. Antan meaning people with a horrible, foul odor. We foul people. Cast blame upon one another. All of them blameworthy. When it was as simple as pulling somebody to the side. When you saw that they were still coming to the masjid and something as simple as an earring went into an ear. Or they're sitting around 
always on their cell phone chatting. Who in the world are they chatting with at 15, 16, 17 years old? There is no male friend that they have that they like that much. It just took a little bit of tawassum and firasa on our part. A little bit of intuition and observing our surroundings to pull somebody to the side and say a word that was firm to them and straight to the point. And perhaps some of that could have been averted. It may have took a loving punch in the chest and a nice corner where nobody was watching. And perhaps some of that could have been averted. He used to say, where is Omar with this stick? Radiallahu anhu. Khalal, he said in his book, about ordering the good and forbidding the evil, he reported from one of the Salaf, he said that I saw an old woman from the Sahabiyat of the Prophet Sallallahu She was one of the last Sahabiyat that they knew alive. He said, I saw this old woman. I remember an old woman from the Sahabiyat that used to walk about in the shawari'. She used to walk about in the streets with a stick, ordering the good and forbidding the evil. Ordering the good and forbidding the evil. If we could only be as diligent as that old woman. Radiallahu anha. It's a masid, I mean masaid al-shaytan. is a horrible trap. From the traps of shaytan. And a horrible plot from the plots of shaytan. The situation that many of our youth are encountering. We mentioned in the previous talk the statement of Shaykh Hamad al-Ansari. Rahimahullah ta'ala. And there are many statements from him in the, in the regards of what we mentioned from him. One statement he said, هذا العالم الذي تعيشه الآن لا يجوز أن تعيش فيه وأنت لا تفقهه. He said, this world that you live in today is not permissible for you to live in it without understanding it. Without understanding the world that you live in. It's not permissible for you to live in this world that you live in without understanding it. And he said, He said, indeed, the 15th century was a century, 15th century Hijri that we are in today. It was a century that the ulama spoke about before it came. And they talked about the abundance of fitna that was going to happen in the 15th century. He said, the majority of you never saw al-isti'mar. You never saw the colonization of the Muslim world by the Europeans. And you never saw the, the qubh and inad of the musta'mir. La'anahullah. You never saw the filthiness and evil, racist nature of the musta'mir, of the colonists who came from Europe to colonize the Muslim world. May Allah curse them. He said, and you should praise Allah that you've never seen that. The ulama, they mentioned that there is a new istimar, that there is a new colonization of the Muslim world. 
And we find the statements of a Shaykh bin Baz rahimullah ta'ala and a Shaykh Salih Fawzan and many ulama in the Mamlaka saying that this ghazu, saying that this battle, that this form of isti'mar, that this form of colonization is more hideous and despicable than anything the Muslims have ever encountered. And it is the ideological war, the ideological attack about which we quoted from a Shaykh Hamad al-Ansari Rahimullah ta'ala, he said that this is a fitna that is worse than any of the fitna that came before it. All of the fitna pertaining al-bid'ah, pertaining innovative beliefs, came from the kufar in the past. Shaykh Rabi' Hafizullah ta'ala, he said that whoever thinks that the ideological war just started in these times and he is a fool. He said it started... In the early generations, he said, you had the translation of the books of the Greeks, the books of philosophy, the books of theology, what they believed about the Creator, their translation from Greek into Arabic in the time of Ma'amun that led to the fitna of the Mu'tazila. Even before that, you had Abdullah ibn Saba, the Yahudi, who was the founder of the Khawarij and the Rafida at the same time. Sheikh Muhammad al-Aqil, he said it's like Windows. You have XP and you have Vista. So he had two different programs. He had two different programs he came with. He came with the beliefs of the Rafida and he came with the beliefs of the Khawarij fi anin wahid at one time, at the same time. A Yahudi. You had Jahab ibn Safwan, the one who learned his beliefs from a man named Ja'ad ibn Dirham, who was killed by Khalil al-Qaswari. On the day of the Eid al-Adha, he said, Indeed, the Muslims are slaughtering their sacrificial animals today. And I have with me Ja'ad ibn Dirham. The one who says that Allah lam yattakhid Musa khalilan did not take Musa as a khalil and did not speak and did not speak to Musa alayhi salatu wasalam. He said, I know I'm going to slaughter him today. Jahab ibn Safwan, the ulama, they said he was the cause of the fall of Banu Umayyah. Alhamdulillah. Or rather, Ja'ad ibn Dirham, the teacher of Jahim Safwan, he was the cause of the fall of Banu Umayyah. To the point that the ruler Marwan, they called him Marwan al-Ja'adi. Because Ja'ad ibn Dirham was his teacher and the mentor of his children. He took his belief from a man named Aban ibn Sam'an. Aban ibn Sam'an, his teacher was named Talut. Who was the nephew of Lubayr ibn Asim the Sahir who put sorcery on the Messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, who in turn was the student of his uncle. And so what has come by way of innovated ideologies and crept into the Muslim world historically has always come from the kuffar. Abdullah ibn Umar, radiallahu anhu, was authentically reported from him that there was a man complaining about Uthman, Radiallahu anhu. And he said to that man, he said, Innakum. 
He said, إِنَّمَا تُرِيدُونَ أَن تَكُونُوا مِثْلَ الرُّومِ لَا يَكُونُوا لَهُمْ إِمَامٍ إِلَّا وَقَتَلُوهُ He said that you people want to be just like the Romans. They never have an imam except that they kill him. They never have a leader except that they kill him. And so they came from these ideologies, they came from the kuffar. As the Shaykh Hamoud al-Tawajiri rahimahullah ta'ala, he said about Sayyid Qutb. He said that he took his ideas entirely from the French philosophers. He took his ideas entirely from the French philosophers. Shaykh Hamad al-Ansari rahimahullah ta'ala, he said that the fitna of today is not like the fitna of the past. Like the trial of Khalq al-Qur'an, the trial of the Mu'tazila who said that the Qur'an was created. Or like the trial of a ta'wil, or tahrif, or ta'atil. He said, but the trial of today is the attempted removal of Islam from the Muslims. The attempted removal of Islam from the Muslims. The ulama, they spoke about, you have spoken about something that is called al-awlama. Something that is called globalism. And globalism is a program and an attempt to make the entire world one world upon one belief and one culture. One world upon one belief, one culture, and one political system, and one economic system. A combination of all of those things together is an attempt to use the reins of everything at their disposal, and everything is at their disposal. The worst of the enemies of Allah Tabarak wa Ta'ala, as the Prophet, as Allah Tabarak wa Ta'ala, he said in the Quran, وَإِذَا أَرَدْنَا أَن نُحْلِكَ قَرْيَةً أَمَرْنَا مُتْرَفِيهَا فَفَسَقُوا فِيهَا فَحَقَّ عَلَيْهَا الْقَوْلُ فَدَمَّرْنَاهَا تَدْمِيرًا That whenever we wanted to destroy a town or a city, we ordered the mutrafi, the mutrafin, mutrafiha, the ex- exuberantly wealthy from amongst them. With Islam, fafasaqu fiha. But they rejected and rebelled against Islam within that city. And so the statement and the order of Allah Taala for them to be destroyed became rightful and they were completely obliterated. And you will find all throughout the Quran. That just as we know that the kuffar, as Allah Tabaraka wa Ta'ali said, hum sharrul bariya, that they are the worst of the creation, that the worst of the kuffar are the exuberantly wealthy, the extremely wealthy. And they were the worst enemies of the prophets and messengers in every time. And so the extremely wealthy from the industrialist going all the way back to the mid-19th century, have started to put programs in place that are designed to break up the ties of society, to split between the man and the wife, and the father and the child, to make people more easily controllable. One of the first and worst of them was compulsory education. Compulsory education to the point that it is well known 
that people were better educated before compulsory education, before the 1840s. They were better educated then than they are now. They were more literate. People were more literate then than they are now. Even later on in the 19th century when many people were freed, those people were more literate then than their grandchildren and great-grandchildren are now. And it was a tool of social control to indoctrinate our children, to indoctrinate our children. And you won't find an advice from the ulama where they talk about the dangers that are facing the youth and an advice for the youth, except that they caution about the harms of the education system. And they're talking about having bad teachers in Muslim schools in Muslim countries. And some of us, not me, walillahi alhamd, have our children in public schools, even past the age of tamyiz, even past the age of puberty. Another thing that they did, along with compulsory education, because the purpose of compulsory education was to make people better workers, to make people better workers so that they knew how to keep a schedule so that everybody could work for their industrial nations. They were trying to kill the spirit of people working for themselves. It's a history lesson. The spirit of people working for themselves. So one of the things that they did is that people used to start their lives and get married in their careers and finish their education by 15, 16, 17 years old. And they had what in their exact words was called extending the age of dependency. Extending the age of dependency. And many of us sitting here and many Muslims have caught the vapors. And we have drank the Kool-Aid. And we believe and we treat our children after the age of puberty as though they are still children. We treat them as though they are still children and spoil them like they're little children. When at their age, they could have started a career, they could have finished school. But we don't take the initiative. And we don't understand that there's a trap that has been set, not for just the Muslims, but for the whole world. And you live not in Saudi Arabia, not in Yemen. Not in Egypt, not in a land that is majority Muslim, but you live in the United States of America. You live in a land that is the source of these ideologies. Where they are teaching your children in school about democracy. And they are teaching your children in school about moral relativism. Saying that. Really, we can't identify right and wrong. Everybody has their own idea of what is right and what is wrong. And everybody has their own religion. And we have to accept everybody and tolerate everybody for the way that they are to the end of it. And your children grow up with tamir. Your children, they grow up with tamir. And you don't do anything. You don't do anything to protect them from it. Because perhaps you are unaware of it. Perhaps you don't recognize it. Perhaps you don't care about what they are coming home with and what they are learning in school. 
and what they are spending their time doing after school. Perhaps the school is raising them in the day and the television is raising them in the night. And then they hit an age where they go out into the streets, where they come home pregnant by a calf or boy. And you wonder what happened in your tarbiyah. What tarbiyah? What tarbiyah was there? They were raised by video games. They were raised by the kufar. They were raised by the television. Which is another tool of the kufar. It is known historically that there has not been, that there has not been a more powerful tool. There has not been a more powerful tool of indoctrination and brainwashing than the television set. It is built by scientists, by mad, majnoon, kafir scientists who actually programmed it to coincide with the brainwaves in the mind of a human being. To literally hypnotize a person with flashing lights and sounds and so on and so forth. And the people have become zombies. And the children have become zombies. And the people sit around and they don't talk to each other. A family, they sit. And the Mus'haf is on top of the TV. And Sahih Bukhari is next to the TV. And they sit with their food, watching TV. And they're out of the home all day. And they don't know their children and their children don't know them. But what they do know about is the first string of the Philadelphia Eagles. And they know the name of the basketball players. And they know the names of the musicians. And you let your child have a phone because you trust them. And unlimited access to the internet because you trust them. And you gave them electronic devices. And they're walking around with headphones on their head. Because they're listening to the Quran, right? They just want to listen to Quran all day. That's all they want. Well, lie, there are some Muslim children that are like that. If we have children like that, may Allah keep them like that. But you don't understand. You don't understand that it is a system that is built against humanity. And it is a system that is contrary 100% to Islam. Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiyallahu anhu he used to say al-ghina yunbitu nifaq fil qalb kama yunbitu al-ma'u al-ashab al-ushb he said that he said that singing just singing plants hypocrisy in the heart nifaq hypocrisy in the heart just like water causes vegetation to grow. Why? Ibn Qayyim rahimahullah ta'ala, he said, because the singers, they were calling to and encouraging everything that Allah has forbidden. Of al-fahisha wal-dhulm wal-qital, of fighting and fornication and adultery, and today homosexuality. And I've been Muslim for about 14 years. And when I became Muslim, before I was Muslim, the people in rap music weren't as gay as they are today. Now you have these people that are out here, a majority of these musicians, 
are just screaming there. Everything about their personality is screaming with faggotry. And you wonder why your children want to wear tight jeans and tight shirts. Really, Hassan took everything I was going to say. I came in the masjid. He said everything I was going to say. Lillahi alhamd. Ala kullin. Who's to blame? Because perhaps your children are young today. And you think that it can't happen to you. And by Allah, if you have daughters. And you're not afraid for your daughters. And you are an idiot. And if we don't recognize the challenges that the children are facing and start to prepare them with the opposite of the love of the dunya, with that thirst for Islam, and that thirst for knowledge, as the Prophet ﷺ, he said, Man humani la yashba'an. He said, There are two hungers, two insatiable thirsts that cannot be quenched. Man humun fil ilmi la wa man humun fil dunya la he said, a thirst for knowledge of the religion, a thirst for knowledge can never be satisfied. And a thirst for the dunya can never be satisfied. We mentioned the story earlier, reported by Abduh ibn Abdurrahman, of the young boy that went out into the battle, and he used to recite the Quran in the morning and fast during the day. And he was from the most knowledgeable of the people in the army about the laws of inheritance and the fiqh of the religion. And he saw a young girl that he was attracted to and he said, and she was in a fortress of the Christians. He said, how can I be with you? She said, that's easy, just become a Christian. That's easy, just become a Christian. Ibn Qayyim, rahimullah ta'ala, he mentioned, we'll mention two statements by Ibn Qayyim. He mentioned about al-ikhtilat al-muharram, al-ikhtilat bayn al-jinsayn, that free mixing, between the sexes, he said, has been a cause for the destruction of entire nations. This was five, six hundred years ago. Rahmatullahi alayhi. What about today? This is at a time when, by Allah, if we looked at how our grandmothers who were Christians, how they used to dress and how modest they used to dress, and how they would dress in dresses that would come down to their ankles, and I remember being a young boy in the church, and if a woman was to wear a dress that showed her legs, I was aib. It was like, she's a floozy. What's wrong with this woman walking around here dressed like a tramp? And that was just, I'm only 33 years old. What about today and the next generation, what our children are going to face? They may pass laws that people can walk around naked in the next 10, 15 years. You never know if enough people vote for it. The free mixing between the sexes, just that by itself. The woman, the girls talking to the boys. Hey, it's something harmless. You're courting them. Yeah, right. Marry them and they can talk as much as they want. How many tries has shaitan set for the youth? 
This is one statement about al-ikhtilat, how dangerous just the free mixing is. It's this, it destroyed whole nations, but you're safe. If you're one of those people, and we don't like to spread munkar, but if you're one of those people that like to talk to sisters on the internet, on Pell Talk, or on MSN Messenger, however, or on Facebook, or on this, or on that, al-ikhtilat, yani this type of free mixing, has destroyed entire nations, but you're safe. It's not going to hurt you. It's not going to destroy your marriage. Your children aren't going to be caught as collateral damage and the fallout of what comes at the end of that. You're safe. Don't worry. That's sarcasm. The second statement of Ibn Qayyim, rahimullah ta'ala, he said about al-ishq al-muharram, about forbidden love, forbidden love, how it can compel a person to do any type of evil that you can imagine. Forbidden love, it will cause a woman, it will cause a woman to forsake her family, cause a woman to forsake her children. It cause a man to forsake his family. It cause a man to forsake his children. It will cause a person to forget everything that they ever knew about what was right and what was wrong. To the point that that person that they love may become a rival for Allah Rabbil Alameen. Ibn Qayyim rahimahullah ta'ala all throughout his writings in Iqatatul Ahfan has a long section about being infatuated with appearances. Being infatuated with appearances and how it's directly connected to a shirk. How it's directly connected to a shirk. That same type of mentality And so what we find as a challenge for our youth comes from so many angles that we don't even know where to begin. We talked about the school, talked a little bit about the media. Let's talk economics. Do you know that Many Western countries that almost one-tenth or more of their GDP, of their gross domestic product, all the money made in their country every year comes from drugs. You know how big of a number that is? Do you know how big of an industry the drug industry is? Do you know the drug industry is not being run by people standing on street corners? Do you know that everything that you see in the music industry has been set up all the way going back to the 60s to promote a drug culture amongst the youth and the spread of drugs amongst the youth. You mentioned the statement of Ibn Qayyim rahimullah ta'ala where he said that singing produces nifaq in the heart. That was the statement of Abdullah bin Mas'ud. It grows nifaq in the heart just like Water grows vegetation, like water grows grass. Because it calls to every munkar. It calls, and it scoffs at every khair. Everything that you can imagine of good is looked at to be weakness in that culture. 
Everything that is destructive that will break down the bonds of society is called to in that culture. Let's talk economics some more. Our children our girls are growing up and there's nobody for them to marry. What's up with that? Why do we find every community that we go to, city after city after city, girls that are 16, 17, 18 years old, and there's no one for them to marry? And there's no one for them to marry. You say, what's going on with the young brothers? Oh, well, he doesn't have a job. He doesn't have this. He doesn't have that. Well, why? We're surrounded really by opportunities. (laughs) We live in a country that by Allah, we see our brothers, they come here from every country that you can imagine. Some of them, they come here as refugees with nothing. They come as refugees with nothing, and within years, they're opening up businesses. See, some of our brothers, they sit in the mashat all day. You say, man, Fulan must be on welfare. No, Fulan has three businesses that he runs, and he has to be on the phone an hour a day or two hours a day to run his business. The opportunities are out here. To make money, to teach our children to make money. And we have to understand that that is part of our religion. And it's a very important part of our religion. As was stated by Abu Darda, he said, He said that it is from the fiqh of a Muslim man that he understands how to make his ma'isha. He understands how to make his livelihood, how to take care of his family. And Abdullah ibn al-Mubarak, he said, عَلَيْكُمْ بِعَمَلَ الْأَبَطَالِ he said, I advise you to do the actions of people that are heroic and brave. It is to earn your money from the halal and spend it upon your family. And some of us aren't the best examples of that. Some of us aren't the best examples of that, of earning our money and spending it upon our family and taking care of our responsibilities. And many of us have found ourselves in a situation of dependency on the kufar. May Allah spare us all from that. And protect us all from that. We mentioned in the khutbah the statement of the salaf they used to say, some of the sahaba they used to say, Allahumma la taj'ali sahibi li mushrikin indi yadan fa yuhibbuhu qalbi. Oh Allah, do not allow the mushrik, the person of shirk, the person of disbelief, to have the opportunity to, to financially help me. Less than my heart shall love him. Less than my heart shall love him. I heard one of the mashayikh saying that he was afraid for the Muslims in the West who are taking assistance from the government that it will cause them to love the kufar in a way that is kufr. That it will cause them to love the kufar in a way that is kufr. There's so many aspects you could talk about on this topic and it's really enormous. That's why the brothers, they asked me to talk about it. Since I got here, I don't know where to start. I don't know where to start. And it's something that's dead serious. People are losing their children. People are losing their girls. People, children from Muslim families are going to prison. It's something that's an enormous topic. And I guess the best thing that we can do is just say, Oh Allah, the controller of hearts, keep our hearts firm upon your religion. But they have to have that thirst. As we said, they have to have the thirst. We have to 
ingrained within them a thirst for knowledge of the religion. Where they learn about good examples. They learn about good examples like the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. They know about his life. They know about his sahaba. They know about the tabi'een and the atba'i tabi'een. They know about the heroes of Islam. People like Nuruddin al-Zanki. Who knows about Nuruddin al-Zanki? Very few people know about him. A man who was upon the sunnah, who took over 80 towns back from the crusaders as the ruler of the Muslims before Salahuddin al-Ayyubi. The heroes of Islam, and the ubad and the zuhad and the ulama of Islam, knowing about these people and about their lives and the challenges that they faced and how they confronted those challenges is a rahmah from Allah ta'ala. It's something that we should know and our children should know about. These are the heroes that we should give them. As the Salaf al-Salih, it was reported from many of them that they said, عِنْدَ ذِكْرُ الصَّالِحِينَ تَنْزِرُ rahma." That when the Salihin are mentioned, when the righteous are mentioned, mercy descends from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It causes you to love them. وَالْمَرْءُ مَعَ مَنَ And on the day of judgment, a person will be with those that he loves. It causes you to follow in their example, to follow in their footsteps, to try to emulate them. It causes you to be humble because you see that they, despite the abundance of actions that they had, they felt that they didn't do enough. And so you want to be like them and your children want to be like them. A thirst for knowledge, knowing who was Allah, who was the Messenger wasallam, what Allah wa ta'ala wants from the person, what Allah wa ta'ala has ordered us with, and why He has ordered that. Ingraining in our children the fact that what they have been ordered to do as Muslims is for their own benefit, not to benefit Allah, not to benefit their parents, not to benefit anyone but them. First and foremost. And then after that, their parents get the benefit from that. But it can never benefit Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We have to give them the reasons. Shaykh Uthameen rahimahullah ta'ala, he said that when you're giving da'wah, when you're giving da'wah, you have to explain to people the reasons, and the hikmah, the wisdom behind what Allah has legislated. If you're giving da'wah to a kafir, and he says, why don't y'all eat pork? And you say, because we've been forbidden from eating pork. That's enough for you. But it's not enough for him. You have to give him the reasons. You have to give that person the reasons. So when you tell your child that you can do this and you can't do that and you can't do this and you can't do that without telling them the reasons, without telling them on the masalih and the mafasid and giving them examples of what happens when you go away from the orders of Allah ta'ala then you can't be shocked when they go away from those things and they don't have any incentives. When you want your children to do something, you always give them incentives. When it comes to the religion, you just tell them, do this or else, don't do this or else. So the Prophet wasallam, he said there are two hungers and two thirsts that can never be quenched. A thirst for knowledge can never be quenched and a thirst for the dunya can never be quenched. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to keep us firm upon Islam we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for al-huda wa tuqwa wal-afaf wal-ghina and for guidance and for taqwa and to keep us chaste and far away from the haram and wa-akhiru da'wanan alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen akramakum Allah I'd just like to thank in closing any of the brothers who came out throughout the weekend 
and he had attended these programs, we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to allow us to benefit from everything that was given of advice by all of the brothers. And just in general, say that I swear by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that I've never been to Philadelphia. I've never been to Philadelphia ever except that I felt pure love from the brothers, alhamdulillah. And we know that Philly gets a really bad rap. And that sometimes when you go out other places, those people who talk about Philly, I don't think they've ever been here like that. And we know the place isn't perfect, and we know there are problems and so on and so forth. And we'd be naive and we'd be lying to say otherwise. Walakin, yani, from recognizing the fadl of the fadl, al fadl, alhamdulillah, we say that we want to thank yani, the people who put the program together for their hospitality and thank the brothers who have come out. And ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to keep our hearts firm upon the sunnah and united upon the sunnah. Jazakumullahu khairah.